0: Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore MOV number two L-I-V. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live, along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believe that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. If you like what you're hearing on Moving to Live, leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or drop us a message on any of our social media channels. We love to hear from listeners and we love ideas for more guests. Today's guest talks to us from Italy. We apologize for the slightly less than ideal audio, but I think the information justifies it. He's calling us from an Air Force base and we talk to Josh Hockett, Tactical Strength and Conditioning Professional moving to live back with another podcast episode. As I've said before, some of our guests come from recommendations from other guests. And sometimes we just become connected through luck at the NSCA convention in Indianapolis. Last July, we ate at a restaurant called Nook in downtown Indianapolis, which was paleo friendly. But the reason that I was interested in it is you could actually identify all of the foods and it didn't feel like a gut bomb. And we left a few of our Tuits, which are little business cards that we have. And when I got back from Indianapolis, I got a message on Instagram from today's guest, Josh Hockett, who said, hey, you're doing both these podcasts, FitLab PGH and Moving to Live. We started following each other on social media. And I'll admit that uh, one of the things I enjoy about following Josh on social media is I say this in the positive way. He has uh, some great pictures on Instagram that I would consider food porn. And it's in, a, it's in a good way, but he also has an interesting background where he currently is working in Italy, so if you hear the internet kind of kick in and out, he's in Italy. I'm in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Josh, I want to thank you for spending some time talking to Moving to Live today.
1: I appreciate you having me here. I'm glad we're able to connect and make this happen.
0: I know the first question I always like to ask people that I interview for Moving to Live is... Give us your elevator speech. You're in the elevator and somebody says, so Josh, what do you do? What do you tell them?
1: Well, for the past six weeks now, (laughs) I am the director of tactical strength conditioning for the 31st Fighter Wing, specifically the 57th Rescue Squadron in Aviano, Italy, which is a PJ or pararescue squadron of the U.S. Air Force that is basically involved with AFSOC, um, Air Force Special Operations Command. Uh, maintaining the performance and health and resiliency of uh, paratroopers that help rescue downed pilots in active war zones.
0: So these are the things that if you see in some of the movies out there, these are the guys who jump out of the plane to help uh, strap the injured pilot into something to pull them back up. Or Actually, probably not a plane, probably a helicopter.
1: Yes, yep, helicopters, the HH-60Gs. Yep, that's what they're – they come in, they get them out, and bring them
0: back to safety. And I'm sure the path there is really interesting. I'm looking forward when we come back in two weeks to talking more specifically about what you do in tactical, because I know you're an NSCA member and I know the tactical field is something that probably even 10 years ago, people would think, can you actually make a living in that? Because there were people, but it wasn't necessarily public knowledge or well-recognized. So you started out somewhere. Where did you grow up?
1: Yep. So Madison, Wisconsin, um, actually um, a suburb just outside of Madison, Wisconsin, Oregon, Wisconsin, town of about, well, now 9,000 people. Um, that's home for me. So born and bred, uh, cheesehead, badger, packer, fan for sure. Um, that's, that, that's home for me and that's where the family still is today.
0: And I'm always curious when I talk to people because our ethos is movement should be a lifestyle, not just an activity. Were you an active kid growing up? And was it because if you were, was it because mom and dad were active, or was it because mom and dad they said, get out of the house and stay busy until dinner time?
1: You know, that's that's a really good question. And that's literally the uh, the origin and impetus of where my uh, my activity began is outside of middle school sports as wrestling and football, if it wasn't for those activities. Um, by all means, I've got the pictures to prove it. Um, I was about 240 pounds going into eighth grade. So active kid, yes. Uh, you know, healthy kid, no, nope, by any means. Um, had things continued the way they were, uh, they were, um, I think it would have been a, a typical statistic within some of our overweight and obesity trends. But um, luckily, uh, I had a, a dilemma, a personal dilemma that I wanted to, in so many ways, be an all-star stud athlete in high school. And at 240, 510, um, that just wasn't going to happen. And that upset me. It frustrated me. And I got, I got pissed, basically, really pissed at myself. And I had to make a change. And, uh, you know, I never had, you know, pressure from my parents or anyone that, you know, you've got to change this. You've got to fix something. But my dad was a fit guy. He ate well. He worked out. And I asked him for some help. And I think he took that as the sign I was ready. So we're talking about 14 years old. Uh, gave me some of the most basic pointers you could on nutrition, just eat better, eat less crap, you know, watch what you eat a little bit more and go, go figure it into being some of the best advice I ever got. No diet plans, no supplements, just watch what you eat and get rid of the crap. But that, and he got me working out, uh, started using his weight bench and body weight stuff every other day, doing a program. And in one year going into high school, then I got down to 205, shot up a little bit too, hit about six foot six one. Um, so that didn't help. And I loved the transformation, the benefits I got as just a person, uh, socially, the respect I got from friends and peers, but then my capacity to succeed in perform as an athlete, just 180, complete 180. And I'm like, dang, if I did this in a year with just bare bones knowledge, what would happen if I knew and learned a little bit more? And so, you know, you start finding more, reading more, asking more, and getting more curious and inquisitive. And then you apply it. You start doing this trial and error, see what works and what doesn't. And I just became fascinated with it all through high school with the intent by the end of high school. I mean, I, I played uh, uh, two different sports, wrestling in high school all the way through, played around the track a little bit, um, made an all-conference in all states my junior and senior year. And I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. Uh, you know, this is the closest thing that I know to it as a career where I can major in fitness and, and stay within this realm. Um, without going too far down that rabbit hole, um, that transition within my first year of college, I was like, I need to know more of the science. I, I like the fitness part, not necessarily being a teacher as much. Realized, crap, ah, you can get a kinesiology degree and be a trainer. You can be a coach. You can be a physical therapist. That's what I want to do, not just teach people. I mean, that's that's great, and other people want to do that, but I needed more of the science and the application and the hands-on, and that from that point forward, middle of my freshman year, it was all about being a personal trainer at that point. So that's kind of, that's, that's where activity and what seemed kind of, you know, hitting that rock bottom is really what helped me bounce back and and lead the pursuit of the lifestyle that I do now.
0: And I'm curious, looking back on it, I know you, you make it sound somewhat simple, which at the base level, you know, a lot of things about diet and exercise are simple, but you said, you know, your dad said, just eat less crap. Do you remember back what one or two things, it's like, wow. I never would have imagined I would stop eating that or stop drinking that. Were you a soda and potato chips kid or was it more like whole pizzas?
1: And, and you know, looking back, uh, and, and I use this now because it's one of those things where I, I look at it more holistically in the big picture with people I work with now, both tactical and otherwise, it was the environment that I was in. And, and this is nothing against my parents either. I mean, they, they, they raised me. They know what it is. We've got, I've got three siblings. We're all in health and physical condition. Um, you know, we, we ate out the average amount, but the friends and peers that I hung out with—they did the fast food thing, the pizza. They worked in fast food. They go out and get candy and whatnot all the time. And so I did what they did. You know, the the whole thing that you know you do is your friends do, and you're the sum of the people you can hang around with most. And it—I <laughs> certainly was. It just seemed to say the ramifications were a bit more uh, drastic and on my end. And outside of sports seasons, I wasn't the most active kid in the world either. So it was it was easy to pack on the pounds and. As soon as I changed that and took control of my own intake, my own food, um, and, and got more active outside of just sports and sports seasons, things turned around pretty quick. So it was it was lifestyle changes in, in environmental conditions that I changed around me that literally made for that one year transformation, which again it, it still pursued after that year, but that first year was the biggest, you know, forty-five pound drop that uh, you know just lit the fire for me.
0: And you mentioned also that you were fortunate enough and skilled enough to make all-conference in all-state. Did you continue on with the organized sport or sports when you went to college?
1: Yes. Um, I went uh, with the intent of um, just going in now, I was going to you know, just do club sports and stuff like that. And I got a partial, um, uh, partial opportunity to take part in the wrestling team that was at uh, Wisconsin-Milwaukee, which was their first year having a program. So we competed against other Division three schools, and uh, I did that for three years. And um, it never did make it to an NCAA-level caliber you know, official sport, so it did become one of the biggest club teams on, on campus. And um, at that same time, there was a growing need and demand for weightlifting and powerlifting. And I, I met enough people. We were uh, you know motivated enough that we actually created a campus weightlifting and powerlifting team And we traveled all throughout the state in Southern Illinois competing in powerlifting and weightlifting. And since that point, that has been my primary sport since my senior year of college has been weightlifting and powerlifting after my wrestling days ended.
0: And I know for those listeners who are experienced with uh, weightlifting and powerlifting, those are two vastly different activities. Which of the two do you prefer and which of the two are you better at?
1: Yeah, and that, I'm glad you point that out. Um, they're, they're basically we both touch barbells, and that's where it ends. <laughs> but um, you know, you know, we lift heavy things. But as you know, the dynamic between the two is, is very very different. It's like sprinting and marathon running. They're both running, but beyond that, they're you know two different worlds. I have competed in powerlifting almost exclusively since that point. For the sake, as a, a strength coach, you know, I keep myself fresh on the uh, Olympic weightlifting so I can show them and demonstrate them and maintain proficiency. But competitively, it's been all powerlifting for me. But at the same time, I didn't want to just tell the reason I stuck with keeping a duo-based sport is I didn't want people in weightlifting to feel like, we're just powerlifters. We don't care about you. I mean, I, I just that felt wrong. As somebody who's pursuing a performance-based career, I, you know, I wanted to cultivate and benefit and motivate anyone who wanted to do weightlifting. And so and that we just kept it that way. You know, we train together, you know, different training programs and styles, but we go to the gym together and compete in different meets, whether you are powerlifting, go support your weightlifting friends and vice versa. And, and then in grad school, I started and continued the same kind of club on, on the campus at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse, And that was that was really successful as well.
0: And I know I have the advantage of having you have filled out a brief questionnaire prior to me interviewing you. So I know you also dabble in obstacle course racing. How does that relate to powerlifting and weightlifting? Because I know for powerlifting and weightlifting, not really endurance oriented, obstacle course racing, a little more endurance. So that either positively affects your quality of life by giving you kind of some balance in training, but it also has a negative effect, I would imagine, on your power lifting.
1: Yes. And the key there at first glance might be, well, how do you do an endurance base for it on one end and then do a strength or power base for it on the other? And the key is, you know, you really have to strategically design and plan your training year and your competitive year. You can't try and do too much of the same in the same month or even the same you know quarter, the same block of the year because one is endurance, one is strength. And the training stimulus, as you know, and the listeners hopefully know, aren't, aren't always conducive. So I'll typically put more of my um, obstacle course races or mud runs in the summer months where they're just more available. At least they were when I was in the Midwest. Um, I'm kind of figuring out how that works here in Italy with the seasons and climate, um, but I'm banking on it the same way. Summer months is more the mud run type stuff, and I'm not competing a whole lot in powerlifting. Whereas in the colder months, when there's not, you know, there's very few, if any, mud runs or obstacle course races to do. I'll place, you know, three, four, maybe even try to slip a fifth powerlifting dinner so I can focus um, on that one outcome and in, in competitive uh, goal that I'm after, not trying to do both at once. But like you said, the whole intent big picture Mud runs are fun for me. I like doing them, and it does keep me athletic um, outside of just being strong. I never want to be, be too terribly one-dimensional. Um, if I need to do something more athletic that requires speed, agility, climbing, whatever, balling, I want to know I can do that. And I wouldn't even give it two seconds of time if I didn't have a training-related goal that meant to do it. So it forces me to have to stay well-rounded and not let certain motor abilities and physical capacities just you know, go to the wayside. Um, I just I, I like being an athlete all around, but as a priority, powerlifting is my big one because I compete at at higher levels than I do mud runs. Again, that's more of a recreational pursuit that I've just found a lot of passion with.
0: I'm curious when you first gravitated towards the obstacle obstacle course racing and the mud runs, were there any moments where it was like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? Or was it kind of like this is kind of cool because it's so different from what I normally do, movement based with powerlifting and weightlifting?
1: Both. <laughs> um, I did one in, uh, this was back when I was in Columbia, Missouri, working at Mizzou as a as, an, as, a, as a, a strength conditioning coordinator for the recreation and club sports teams, but did one uh, early summer, and it was it was very different. That, that's for one. It, it felt more like being a traditional athlete as a wrestler or football player, again, and I did like that. But as somebody who's working in an athletic performance-based career and position, again, I was like, holy crap, I'm great on the platform, but I suck at this. Like, I am struggling right now. And I've got, you know, guys and gals that look like average athletes. They're, you know, smoking me on the side. And I'm like, how is this happening right now? You know, I'm good at this thing. Why am I not good at this? And it was It was literally getting that first-time client experience again that, Josh, you can be good at one one dimension of athletics and be terrible at another. It's all about specificity. And that was kind of like, well, okay, I'm going to play with this. I'm going to use myself as an experiment and make sure I maintain this area whilst making sure I keep priority with strength. And I think that was good for me because it it let me realize that even if you're great at one thing and you succeed at it, doesn't mean that you're good across the board at all athletics. And I think that's easy to forget when you start seeing success in one area. You either stay there because it's comfortable or you just tend to forget and negate some of the other areas too. So that was just a shock for like it can be strong, doesn't mean you're good at obstacle course
0: racing. <laughs> and I know that it's often said that some of the best coaches were not necessarily the best athletes, and that makes them better coaches because they understand, you know, this isn't easy for everybody. So whether it's an Olympic uh, weightlifting movement or an agility or a speed drill, if you've had the experience of doing something you weren't very good at rather than being somebody who everything came easily it probably makes you a better coach and a better trainer because you understand the spectrum of abilities of the athletes and clients that you work with.
1: Yes, absolutely. And for those that I have worked with, um, you know, across all spectrums, tactical collegiate, uh, general public, um, getting, having that, that familiarization and that, that repeated exposure each year with an endurance based sport, um, does give me a little bit different psychological perspective and just, uh, I, I can put myself in their shoes more than if I was strictly just a strength power athlete. So I think that's something I've come to appreciate as well.
0: I know Mike Barnes, who is a personal trainer out in Colorado Springs, uh, pretty big into weightlifting, has done the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. And his rationale, I remember him telling me, is first of all, he was living in Colorado. And second of all, he was working with athletes who were endurance athletes. And he said, you know, if I'm going to coach them and train them, I, sh- I should have an understanding of exactly what they're doing. And I know he's, since doing that, turned into a big mountain biker, and it's a significant part of his training just because he's learned that, you know, if you're going to live in Colorado, there's nothing better than hopping on a bike and climbing up a mountain.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I've only been there once, and just from the geography and the, the vibe out there, that is the thing to do. I do a little bit of road biking myself in the summers, again, being from the Midwest when we can get out there. And just doing it recreationally, I, I love getting out there. It's, it's kind of like my zen meditation out in nature is is on a bike or two wheels.
0: We're talking with Josh Hockett. He is a tactical strength and conditioning specialist in Italy. He mentioned a few minutes ago that his goal was to be a personal trainer and understand the science more. He got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. What happened after you got the master's degree, Josh? When you were getting the master's degree, what was your career goal? I know when I was getting my master's degree, I was going to eventually be an athletic trainer at a small college out west. And I'm in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, so apparently my plans didn't work out the way I intended them.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny how uh, you know there's there's our objectives, and then there's where fate sometimes and opportunity takes us, and that's uh, a little bit of, of what happened to me as well. I, I did do personal training on a and pretty much a part-time basis all the way from undergrad in Milwaukee up through my time at the class While I was a, a graduate assistant up there as well. Um, and I uh, ended up actually forming an LLC just as I was getting uh, finishing up graduate school. I was actually at Wisconsin-Madison interning with the athletics department with the high hope that some kind of an opening at Madison would open up. That at that point was kind of like the dream opportunity of time, place, and person is that something would be open when I finished my internship um, with Madison and I could you know, start working there. Because so I'm being from Madison and diehard Badger again, that would have been perfect. Um, again, it's a Big Ten school. It's Division One, so it's it's competitive. And you know, it was a long shot, but I figured if I did well, and you know, word, word for that uh, it didn't happen. There just wasn't an opportunity there at the time. Luckily, my my plan B right behind that that I was already doing um, a lot of work in is my, my LLC, a limited liability company called Body Prep Coaching LLC. And it was basically I I tended to because I competed in physique sports at the time, and some of my clients also wanted to. They told their friends about it. So I had this good nucleus of physique clients, about 10 of them, and it started going a little bit more about 12 or 13. I'm like, well, do I just do this now, you know, and just start, you know, run with my own business versus a temporary kind of in-between type, uh, type job, and uh, I did end up doing that for a year after um, I finished at Wisconsin and nothing really, you know, came out of that position. It was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. I learned a ton from most coaches. But uh, went full force, um, like I said, incorporated as an in LLC. I got up to about 15 clients, um, all of them in the, the Madison, I should say, the southeastern Madison, Wisconsin, or southeastern Wisconsin area, and coached them for physique sports, bodybuilding, figure, um, women's bikini, men's physique was not a thing yet. It was just bodybuilding, bikini, and um, physique that was out there. And um, all drug-free athletes that did INDF, INBA, whatever it might be, and just helped prepare them. Typically it was somewhere around that 16, 17 week period before competition would come around. And sometimes it was actually helping them select a competition and then everything that led up to preparing for a competition, and a lot of times being there at the meet with them. And I loved it. it. It was, you know, it just spurred out of nowhere. And I enjoyed working with that type of clientele in, a, in kind of a sport that doesn't always get the line right. And I would say about that time period, two thousand would have been nine. Um, physique sports were really starting to become something more, um, they were becoming more mainstream. So it was, it was a good time to be a part of it. And, uh, I, you know, I kept doing that. I, I enjoyed it. Um, long hours, that's for sure. Because if you're not working, you're not making money. You're driving between gyms to train people. Um, you're doing a lot of behind the scenes work that you're not necessarily being paid for and you're putting together programs. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a lot of hours. It was, uh, you know, it was a lot of responsibility, but I still enjoyed it. Um, Kind of having my eyes and ears open for what else might still be there for something a little bit more long term, and I did really miss the collegiate setting. That was one of the biggest things I realized the longer I was out of Wisconsin and done with grad school. I I just missed that collegiate setting and being part of a team. And after about a year, I got a call from a friend of mine who knew of an opening for the uh, strength conditioning coordinator position at Mizzou with club sports and rec sports. And he said, you know, I know they're creating a position. I know you were kind of looking at. collegiate thing, what do you think? I said, yeah, you know, do what you got to do, put in my name, I'd I'd love to hear more. Long story short, uh, it worked out, they called me, I interviewed, got the position, and I could say no to it, you know, if they were going into the SEC, they were a great program, amazing athletics, Pat Ivey was down there, really well-known strength coach, very well respected, I figured I could learn a lot there. Um, Like you said, it's not always just the good, the hard part is I had to swallow a big pill and uh, let my LLC uh, dissolve and, you know, told my clients what was happening. They were fully supportive of it. They knew that the collegiate goal was where I wanted to be as a collegiate strength coach for, you know, forever. And uh, that's where I went down to. Went down to Mizzou and ended up doing two years uh, as a, a little over two years as a strength conditioning coach with their club sports and rec sports program. And, and I, I loved it. I loved my time there and learned a lot in that program as well.
0: We've been talking with Josh Hockett. He's given us a fairly traditional background of what somebody does if they decide they want to work with people in the movement field. I know from looking at his bio after working at the University of Missouri, that's when his path takes a slightly atypical in a good way. I've often said that our interviews for Moving to Live, some of the most interesting interviews are the people who don't have the quote-unquote traditional paths and they're doing something a little bit different than everybody else. And that's what makes the interesting interviews. So I'm looking forward to coming back in two weeks and finding out, not that I didn't enjoy the first part of the interview, Josh, but finding out the part when I first started following you on social media and realizing that, you know, there's people who are exercise physiologists and fitness people working in the food industry. How does this work? And then seeing your transition back into strength and conditioning with tacticals. So I hope you'll be willing to come back and talk to us again in two weeks.
1: Absolutely.
0: Love to. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw you can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.